Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mustard Tiger here. And today I'm chatting with forever buff Ryan Moeller. Really excited for this interview, Ryan. You took the hard path out to college football to live out your dream there. It's been a few years since you graduated. How how is life treating you these days? Yeah, the hard path continues. (laughs) Um, It's, uh, you know, it's it's been awesome. I got to continue to play football. Got to go into NFL camps and the XFL and the AAF. Got to continue playing the dream, living out the dream. You know, the dream was always... uh, to get paid to play football, pay, uh, you know, play professionally. And I was certainly able to accomplish that goal. And so I'm on to uh, the next goals in life, which is uh, marriage and starting a family. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of walk me through your professional football journey. What were some of the different teams you got a chance to play for? Yeah. So initially um, went out to Seattle, was there for a minute. Um, Pete Carroll and all those guys, they were great. Tedrick Thompson was still out there at the time. So it was nice to have another teammate out there with me. Um, and then from there, went to the, the Giants. Got to be there for a little more than a cup of coffee. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, the, the Meadowlands is about all it's cracked up to be in my mind. A little gloomy, a little harder for me coming from Colorado. At Boulder, I think it was over 300 days of sunshine a year so. I think you get the picture if you've ever been there. Um, and then after that, I went to the Alliance of American Football. That was a, a professional league that came up in the spring of 2019. And then that went under, um, you know, challenges coming with those football leagues that, you know, they, they kind of come and go, whether it's um, fan engagement or financial system or you name it, they all have their own issues and, and shortcomings and, um, after that, I, uh, well, actually I did well enough in there. I, I led the finish leading the league in interception. So I'll, I'll for, forever be the all time leading interception leader. Uh, that's cool for the league. And then I went to the Browns. I was there for a little while. Got to see some phenomenal talent out there between, you know, Baker and David and Joku and Odell and Jarvis and, um, you know, on the defensive backside or Daniel Amos and, there was Adrian Amos, excuse me, but and everyone else, there was a there was a thick group out there. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. And from there, I went uh, started with the fours, and by the time I left with them, I was running with the twos. Um, and then finally, I ended up in the XFL down there with the Dallas Renegades. Bob Stoops was the coach. Uh, that's a good old boy, man. I uh, I really enjoyed being under him. And then, unfortunately, COVID came along and that shut it down and came back to Colorado where I had home base. And, you know, I really I really missed having my my family and having that home. And and so I uh, I kind of made that hard decision to hang up the cleats and pursue other other careers and moving into my third career now would actually be the second one outside of football. Um, I'm looking to get married and that's coming up real soon. And so a lot of exciting things happening in my life and, you know, still pushing forward, no conflict, no story. Well, there's plenty of conflict. So there's plenty of story here. (laughs) Were you playing safety pretty much exclusively at the professional level? Yeah. Until I got to the XFL, they had me playing will linebacker as well. So they had me playing weak side. That was a lot of fun. Something I was used to was playing in the box. Um, still was getting some defensive back reps and and everything, but they kind of had me playing a lot of places all over the place, trying to be as useful of a tool as I could be, you know, that was kind of the, the way I'd been my whole career and just helped me keep playing. And the wedding that's kind of coming up later this summer. Yeah. September actually. Um, so late summer, just there in the beginning of the fall out in park city, Utah, baby. Nice. Yeah, I had Tim Lenat on the podcast recently. He just got married. You guys are all getting grown up. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's wild. It's wild. Those next steps, I think all my friends around me, they're, well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of people scrolling through your feed or people you know, you're having babies or getting married. So I guess it's an actual progression there. Yeah. Just kind of going back to the beginning for you, what was your childhood like growing up in Rifle? You were born in Denver, but you pretty much grew up exclusively out on the Western Slope, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, 
probably moved to the Western Slope when I was five or so from Lakewood. Um, so no real concrete memories here on the front range as a child. Um, you know, the Western Slope was uh, a whole lot of outdoor time and had to be creative. We grew up on a, a ranch out there and we built our house out there on a ranch. Um, so I was always, uh, <laughs> alone or with the animals or with my dad doing something on the property. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, chores always came first. So taking care of your duties, taking care of what needed to be done, getting that done before doing anything fun was sometimes really hard as a kid. And sometimes you, you miss when you knew you had friends in town and they were riding around town in the summer on their bikes and hanging out with their other friends and, well, you got to go do chores or you're out in the country, you know, it's a different approach and a different lifestyle. Um, very character driven from my parents. That's for sure. Your dad had a background playing football at Northern Iowa, played briefly as, as a pro player. Did he introduce you to football pretty early on? Uh, he introduced me into athletics pretty early on. And so did my mother. My mother was a phenomenal athlete too. And, um, you know, they they saw the value in uh, being able to go through multiple sports, um, being a multi-sport athlete, whether you really stuck out, out all of them or not. That wasn't really as important as it was to kind of just be introduced to as many things as possible. And back when I started playing football, I was about it was in fourth grade. My parents were pretty hesitant to let me start then, too, just because ah, you can play football the rest of your life. Why not let, let yourself grow up a little more and. You know, I think then, you know, they're obviously concerned with uh, the possibility of, of head injury. Right. And that's something as a kid you didn't really even think about. And you always maybe played soccer and you took headers, but no one even thought about getting a concussion or anything, taking headers. Right. And, um, then I started playing football and playing baseball, basketball, everything. But I pretty much played everything like I was a football player. So you had to watch out. I remember on your bio too, it mentioned that you spent a lot of time stacking hay bales. Did that make you strong as a kid? <laughs> yeah, I had a, that was one of those chores in the summer, that kind of seasonal job that came along that sucked, especially get all allergied up and, and make you kind of sneeze, sneeze attacks and just kind of miserable out there. But um, it's funny because sometimes in, in the bio, I think every time we talk to someone, these, these hay bales got heavier. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I mean, uh, it, it, it was definitely a great tool to teach me how to kind of work with my body to, you know, create momentum and use my body as a whole tool instead of just trying to muscle something around, especially as a young kid, you're not going to really be able to throw around. I mean, the average bale is probably between like 60 and 80 pounds when it's dry, um, 80 pounds, if it was a good season, if it's lighter kind of in trouble there. But yeah, I mean, we, we used to throw those things around all summer long and get paid to do it. And it's kind of that, uh, the hard labor, those, those odd jobs you had to do, but definitely very pivotal, I think. And, in uh, the way I thought about things and, and growing up is always, you, you got to do the work. Right. And, uh, while I wish we had one of those fancy bailing machines, I pick it up for us too. Now my dad said, you got two hands, you better get out there, buddy. Um, so we started doing that, but as I started going through high school and stuff, and even in college, and I still do it, I have to go, go back and, help out my parents, um, throw hay, do whatever we need to do. Um, sometimes those bales do get kind of heavy, especially if you bale it wet and, uh, then you start getting around. Okay. We're throwing 500 bales today and then they're closer to 80 to a hundred pounds or maybe just a little over. You're not out there weighing them, but it gets to wear on you a little bit. And, um, you know, having done that from such a young age, uh, I, I definitely can realize the mental toughness, it, it kind of helped start in me, you know, that's something you have to continuously work on and, and pushing through and persevering through the harder times. Um, especially, you know, I think COVID definitely tested a lot of, a lot of our mental toughness out there. Um, and if you hadn't been used to it, I think it probably could have been a lot harder on you and it was pretty hard on, I would say all of us. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think it definitely helped pave the way for a lot of things and laid that foundation. You played a little bit of everything in high school, right? Baseball, you were a wrestler, a track athlete, obviously football. Mm -hmm. 
When did you, did you, you pretty much played all those sports all through high school or did you kind of pare it down at some point? Uh, it kind of shifted a little bit football all through high school, wrestling through most of high school. I stopped playing baseball through my freshman year. I had a, uh, a close friend, my best friend pass away and I couldn't play anymore. I just, I don't know. I, I fit physically. I couldn't do it. And I think maybe if I were to go back and change anything, maybe I would have stuck out baseball more. And I would have stuck around at the time when I left playing baseball, I was a better baseball player than I was a football player. Um, it just, I would say just hurt, hurt a lot to play without that guy. Um, but you know, I was able to use kind of that pain in his memory and do doing everything I did with him for him and him with me through college and the professional atmosphere as well. You know, when I got to college, <clears throat> I asked to either be number five or number two to honor him. He was number two. And instead coach Mack gave me 25. And I was like, that'll do. Wrestling was just, you can understand wrestling, right? Especially as a defensive player, get to work someone over one-on-one and use your angles and leverage and everything. It was very pivotal. Um, the very pivotal sports to be able to kind of link together, to be able to go towards your common goal, which was football after that point. Um, and then, you know, with track, I ended up winning a state championship in track. We were state champions in the four by two. Um, state finishers, top three finishers in long, triple, four by one for uh, 100, 200, everything. So um, I think the value isn't just picking one sport, right? But being able to do multiple sports and being able to hone in on your athleticism, I think that definitely transitions into many things in life or anything you want to do after life. Um, and again, you're just constantly in that state, that mindset of having to push through something that's hard. I think it's a, a great developmental tool for, for me when I was young and something that I look forward to uh, pushing my, my family to do as I continue to make that. By the end of your high school football career, I mean, you had done everything you could have to get noticed by colleges. Over 3,000 rushing yards as a senior, ranked seventh in the entire nation in 2012. You did have some scholarship options, Idaho State, Colorado School of Mines, CSU Pueblo, but I'm, if you're in the Denver area with what you accomplished in high school, I, I think the power five schools are kind of lining up for you. How did you approach that? Was it hard and frustrating not having those big time options? Yeah. You know, and, and something else too, that <clears throat> most people don't realize is my senior year, I only played, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, we, we played 14 games went all the way to state and lost. Unfortunately to Isaac Miller, former teammate, right up at silver Creek. I still hang out with him actually frequently so we still keep in touch um but i only played you know the first half or the or three quarters for most of the games um so i was able to kind of develop and put everything out there now if i were on the front range it's hard to say that's a what if um and going through that whole recruiting process one thing i knew is i didn't want to have what ifs i don't like what ifs and i don't want to have regrets right and so could have gone to D2 school, probably could have played offense there and, and done really well. And maybe I would have had a better shot. I mean, we're seeing so many different guys coming out of D2 and in some D3 programs, top tier programs as well that are getting shots. Um, and even less than, you know, Western State, Austin Eckler. Um, race against him in high school and track. Um, when we were both in the professionals, we had the same agent. So that was, that was pretty funny. But just goes to show it's going to that top tier isn't always the best option. Um, but you don't know unless you try it. And so for me, uh, it was really about not having any regrets or what ifs. I didn't want to say I went here, but what if I would have, you know, tried to go play in a power five conference. And, um, so when I met with coach McIntyre and, and he told me he wanted me to come on as a preferred walk on, I was like, that's it. Let's go do it. I mean, that was my best chance to go out there and, get to that highest level, that highest option I had. And man, it was, uh, it was not easy. Any step of the way I had to work for every bit of it, every single aspect. And one thing I was able to kind of fall back on every time was that hard work, that grit, the doing the things you don't want to do to be able to get what you want. Um, you know, and I think you can see a lot of examples of that happening in, in professional life and whether that's in sports or out of sports in sports, you're looking at Kobe, right out of sports. Maybe you're thinking Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, like these other guys is 
it's curiosity and perseverance and they just, they just keep going after it. And so you actually brought you out on an official visit, right? Uh, unofficial. Unofficial. Okay. Yeah. Unofficial. I came out for a day, checked out the stadium and then pulled me and my parents into the coach's office there at Dow Ward, um, before they made the champion center and, uh, told me, here's the deal. I wish I had a scholarship to offer you. I don't, um, what I can do is offer you preferred walk on position. I know you have other, um, offers and situations you have to think about and you need to talk about with your parents. But I want you to know that if you came here, like you'd have every opportunity, um, to, to play. Um, now there were other coaches that, <clears throat> um, didn't think I should even be there. And I was told, um, in my recruiting process there that, um, you know, we were, we were, we were being the squeaky wheel. That's for sure. And sometimes if you're not squeaky wheel, you know, and you're just riding by opportunities are going to pass you up. Certainly. Um, and I had coaching coaches there, um, on staff that told me I would be a project that I'd never see the field. I'd never play. So I had the first chip on the shoulder, they're going to see you and let's go after it. You know, I'm not going to do it. And, come down to it by the end of everything. I was a first team all pack 12 player. I was, a Oh, was that, uh, some final finisher for a walk on of the year? Uh, shoot. It's, uh, starts with a B, you know, and then I was able to, I was able to earn this play as a walk on earn scholarship, start as a, um, a walk on start as a scholarship player and then have a Burlesworth trophy. So the Burlesworth Trophy. I was a okay. Trophy finalist in, in 2017. That year, Luke Falk won it The quarter from uh, Wazoo. You know, I, I just, because of hard work and due diligence, you know, I was able to continue to play and I was able to do things that people kept telling me I couldn't do. And I think personally, there's nothing more empowering than proving people wrong. Was everybody back home pretty much on board with your decision to walk on to see you or were there some people that thought you should have taken that, those scholarship opportunities? Yeah, maybe there were. Um, but whenever anyone talked to me about it, they were good luck, man. Like, go get it. No one, uh, no one directly that I can remember to my, told me that I, I made a mistake and, you know, as I kept progressing through everything and going through each year of my career, the, you saw the support grow. Um, bunch of stuff around town, pretty cool stuff. You walk around town or rifle's not very big. So kind of easy to recognize just one person that looks maybe somewhat athletically built and wears a CU ball cap around, pick me out pretty easy. Did you play any running back at CU or were you defense from day one? Uh, about two weeks, <laughs> two weeks worth of running back. And then um, coach Mack moved me over to DB and, you know, the rest was history. I think what I've loved, I would, I would have loved to stay on offense. Um, at the time I was looking at the running back room and most of the time there's only one running back on the field at the time. And there was probably about nine of us in that room, but on the defensive back side of the field, four or five, sometimes six of you on the field at a time. So a lot more opportunity to play there. Um, so took my licks, um, Huge learning curve, huge learning curve. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's for sure. Despite that steep learning curve, did you feel like during that first fall in Boulder in 2013, as you redshirted that you were fitting in, that you were going to be able to kind of live out your dream there? You know, I think it's kind of hard to see. I think you, you have to believe, um, you know, you're redshirting and you have to understand the purpose of the year at that point. Uh, and it can be very, like I said, hard to see the forest through the trees at that time when, you know, there's some other freshmen who are traveling and, and start playing and, um, living out the true freshman deal. And that seems a little more obtainable. I think when you're in, in that role versus when you're, you know, you're pretty much just there training and, and practicing and servicing. Um, now by the time spring ball came around, you start seeing strides being made. And then each year you start seeing strides being made. So I would maybe not there directly in 2013, but what I started to learn to do was enjoy the process. 
right? Not, not get lost in thinking about only getting to the end and, and, you know, and just playing, right? Like, of course I wanted to play. I was going to do everything I could to play and get on the field. But I was also enjoying the process of developing. And sometimes that came with a lot of hurt or a lot of anguish, right? And so times where, man, I don't know if I'm, I'm cut out for this or I can do this. I think, you know, there's scholarship players that probably tell you the same thing. Um, it's just not, it's not an easy road to travel at all. And then being a walk-on on top of that, it's pretty, you do a lot of thankless things, a lot of thankless things. Um, but I will say each step, you know, you got fall and then your, your, your workouts in the fall, and then you have your winter workouts, your winter training, and then you have your spring workouts and then you have spring ball and then your summer stuff. Each step of the way you start to see changes, strides. If you're just getting better a little bit every day, whether it's, you're getting stronger, you're getting faster, maybe you're getting more agile, your mental acuity is getting is getting there, your your vision on the field, your ability to anticipate and see what's going on and recognize like uh, play recognition, route recognition, run past. There's just so many things um, in each step of the training that if if you can pay attention to it or, or understand where you're at in the process, um, you can appreciate that process. And it, it's just kind of, it can be easy to look past and then go right over your head. Next thing you know, you're a fifth year senior. You haven't really done anything with it. <clears throat> and maybe you just got caught up in the wrong stuff. You know, uh, you know, frats or partying or not paying attention or, or, or enjoying the, the process or the, <clears throat> you know, the story it's, it's all there. And I think it all plays a, a huge part, but didn't always see it. Didn't always see the forest through the trees. And, I can just tell you that I'm very glad I was I had my support system for my family, um, from the staff there at CU, from the coaching to the academics to Katie Basin. She was huge for us. And, um, you know, they, they really put it all together for us. And if you use those tools and you use your resources, you know, you're able to get things done. You played in all 12 games as a redshirt freshman. And I got to talk to you about the Oregon game. I remember that very vividly going oh, up there. It was not a pretty game for you guys as a team, 44 to 10. But as a writer, you're kind of looking for those storylines in a blowout. And you were the storyline that night. You set a school record for most tackles playing in the first game on defense with 14 tackles in that game. Played all 77 defensive snaps. When did you find out that was going to be your first start? And what was that experience like? Obviously not the result you guys wanted as a team, but I'm sure you had to take some, some confidence from that game, right? Totally. Totally. Well, I mean, you, you got to recognize who's on the other side of that line too. It was Marcus Mariota of his senior year, uh, eventual Heisman trophy winner that season. They went on to be number two ranked team in the nation, lost the national championship. Um, <clears throat> I man, I was just out there trying to play fast and have fun. Uh, but I will say, yeah, I go stepping out there for you defensive snaps. You kind of, it's real baby. <laughs> it's real. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I knew what my strengths were. It was, it was attitude, hustle, like playing fast. I wanted to go a million miles an hour. I knew I was going to make mistakes. I knew that mentally my acuity and my maturity probably wasn't there. Um, but I had about one week to figure that one out. You know, the week before we were playing in Arizona, um, and you know, we just kind of kept kind of losing safeties, losing safeties, losing safeties. Um, and, and the next week we're playing Oregon and they're like, well, you're going to start, you're going to take the one reps. And I was like, holy crap, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, don't, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. It was, uh, I tell you I, what I remember, it was really hard to think clearly, honestly, uh, for me. Um, but I relied on my strengths and I was just going full freaking bore. They told me just, just, if you don't know what to do, you just go all out. Um, and you know, I don't think we, we didn't go out there expecting to win that game. You know, we definitely knew, uh, we were still building the program at that point and we we're facing a very, very strong opponent in in Oregon. And that was the time of my life, man. It was awesome. First start against Marcus Mariota and got to lay some licks on him and everyone else. And you're just flying around, having fun. And, you know, I just remember having the most fun 
the most fun I could in that situation. And then I got to play the next week and then the career kept continuing. That was a very good catalyst, I think, for me to continue. And I think the confidence that that gave me was paramount. And it just really was uplifting. It was uplifting to have support for my teammates too around me and the coaching staff around me to be able to support me through, you know, they knew I, I'm young. I was a freshman out there and they all stood behind me. They helped me out the best they could. And, you know, we fought tooth and nail, baby. You mentioned that even some staff members weren't all that encouraging. Did you feel like the staff, the coaches viewed you a little differently after that game? I do. Um, at the same time, <clears throat> I wasn't ever really concerned with other, what other people thought. Um, it doesn't mean I didn't hear it and I didn't listen. Um, like I said, it put a chip on my shoulder. Um, but I think <clears throat> you get, you, you gotta, you gotta give respect to get it right. And you have to be able to continuously prove, you know, what you're doing on the field. And now, <clears throat> excuse me, allergy season. Um, now you may not always, you may, you're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. But if you're going to take the coaching and you're going to apply that coaching and you're going to continue to show them that you want to learn and be better, then, then yeah, certainly. That will change people's perspective of you. Um, you got to have pig-headed discipline, man, um, and getting lost in, in too much of what other people think. And then you start getting nervous and worried. And then, you know, they used to, used to say in football that uh, you can't tell the difference between someone who – is timid and doesn't know what they're doing. Right. So we can teach you the playbook, but we can't teach you to be, to be physical. Can't teach you to, to get in there and be gritty and, and, and nasty. So, um, you know, those things definitely developed through the each year. And, you know, after that year, I was, I was more respected, maybe more revered. People knew they could trust me out there to get the job done. They knew they could trust me to take coaching to be able to get the job done. If I was dropping the ball somewhere, they knew they could trust me to, to be in the right place. Um, and if I wasn't, then they would tell me what I needed to do to be able to fix that um, or work through that issue. Is, well, what are you thinking? Tell me what you're thinking here, your thought process. Why did you do this instead of this? Well, I was thinking this, I saw this. Well, well don't do that. <laughs> and then you talk through it, right? And you fix it. And um, then you, you get honestly more comfortable being coached. Um, I think part of it at first when you're, when you're, maybe you're so timid or you maybe you're scared. Um, you can't think. And then you're just, you're scared of being coached. You're scared of watching films. So you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And once I figured out how to be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, it really opened up a lot of doors for me mentally and being able to mature in so many ways on and off the field. You were placed on scholarship that following summer. Was that during camp? Did Coach McIntyre announce that in front of the team? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, Coach Tumpkin was still with us at that point. And they pull, he pulled me into his office and he started ripping me. And um, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is this crap I'm hearing? X, Y, Z, right? I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? And then he's like, whatever. And then we start walking out of the meeting, see a couple other guys standing outside the hallway too. I'm like, what are you, they're walk-ons. Like, what is going on here? And I was like, Oh my God. And then they just started counting us in like, go on, go on. You're on scholarship. And that was just, that was an unbelievable feeling. That was unbelievable. It was so cool. And then calling my parents was, was really awesome too. That's awesome. So you're on scholarship now, that redshirt sophomore season. You started the first seven games, played well, had 47 tackles, got your first career interception against UMass. Then the moped accident happens. And I imagine that's one of the worst memories from college. If memory serves, you're just sitting at a streetlight and somebody runs into you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, my buddy was, I was on it with a buddy and he was taking me home and um, stopped at a stop at a street light and then just got rear-ended car hit us going 30. Um, didn't ever break anything, but a bunch of soft tissue damage and really had a huge impact on me mentally from, you know, like, like a little bit of PTSD and then depression and anxiety. I was just kind of a, I was a nervous mess. And I was, I got pretty messed up, man. I was pretty messed up and um, I, I do say that if I wasn't playing football and hadn't been training for football and my body hadn't been conditioned um, to, to react and, and, and brace myself for hits that I see 
as well as react and take hits I don't see coming because that happens in football too. Um, that I think that, you know, definitely prevented injury, more serious injury um, from happening, and, you know, and maybe even, even death. But the only thing I could have done better was wear a freaking helmet. But <laughs> was your buddy okay? He well? ended up being okay. He had to get some staples. And um, I ended up, because I was on the back, I just took the brunt of the hit. So I kind of bodied down up for him. And then I ended up coming forward, buried my teeth in his head, and then went over him and hit the truck and that was in front of the car in front of us. So I went over the car wow. and I hit a truck. And then I, when I came to, I was, I was, I could hear the ambulance coming and I was laying in the road. Um, but again, thankfully didn't break anything. Just scrambled my noggin a little bit and kept moving. Well, what helps you get through that? Uh, you know, if you have a torn ACL, there's a certain process you go through, a clear mm-hmm. path you take to recovery. With an accident like that, well, what does a recovery process look like? I mean, certainly a lot of soft tissue work and being able to trust. You're so tight. You're so tense. They're trying to work and loosen up, you know, the muscles surrounding my neck, the erector muscles on, on your back. And uh, it's like... Uh, any bit of trust I had for anyone or anything beforehand was gone. No trust. I was just scared, you know, like walking down the street, you hear a, a van door, a sliding van door, boom, sliding shut, jump off, off the rocker and, and freak out a little bit. Um, but, you know, where there is, there's help for your physical ailments, there's plenty of help out there for, you know, mental trouble as well. Um, Chris Bader was on staff there at CU, uh, a, a licensed psychologist and therapist. And he was huge, huge. I, you know, I couldn't stop thanking him enough. We sat through plenty of, of sessions between what I'm thinking personally, you know, maybe in relationships I'm having, trying to get back to playing football. I was scared to come back and play football. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think if I had that staff, um, that support staff for uh, mental trouble and mental health and mental acuity and going through all those things with them that I would have ever come back. Maybe might've just, you know, been a mess furthermore, but you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's huge. Having that support system is huge. And now still after that, after CU, I use um, services for, for former athletes for, um, you know, mental distress or mental health and, and, and therapy and mental mapping. And, um, you know, because we've all go through so much, we all, whether you have a huge accident or maybe you go injury free, but eventually when your sport's over, you have this huge kind of void and identity crisis per se. Not everyone goes through it, but it's not uncommon for, for you to go through it. And, you know, I think CU has done a phenomenal job of offering services for alumni as well as current athletes to be able to support them through everything that they're going through, uh, changing career, changing life, or maybe they're just down in what's going on currently and what they are doing. Um, you know, I, I don't know where I would be today without it. And I'm glad that I found that help and I can't say how much it's helped me in my life then and continues to help me now today. That's awesome. And uh, going into 2016, you're now an upperclassman. You've got a, a defense of grown guys around you, guys that have gone through the struggles, Chido Beowuze, Tedrick Thompson, Kenneth Olobode, Josh Tupo, Samson Kalfavalu. Did you guys know leading up to the 2016 season that you had a chance to be pretty dominant on that side of the ball? You know, each, each year you, you had a feeling and you could see the proof in the pudding, right, um, of the work that you've put in. And it just all start, it starts, to, it starts to gel. Like, you know from the top down that every guy in front of you or every guy behind you, depending on where you're at in the defense, is going to do their job. And if not, if, if maybe they blow that assignment that they're going to work their, their tail off to, to get through and, and to make it up and, and they're not just going to give up on the play, but the, the mental toughness and the sharpness that we all had and the understanding of the functions of the defense was 
unlike anything I'd ever been with before, you know, everyone was, was on their game. And we had that, I keep talking about support, but we have Jim Levitt and Joe Tumkin and, you know, all these other coaches on the defensive staff who were out there grinding with us. And it was really more about, we knew that, that we had something, but we also, we knew that we had the trust and we had brothers, right? And uh, we were, when we were going to war that we knew that, you know, we were going to fight tooth and nail. We we're going to have each other's back. And then each week, right. It's, you just, we were just proving it again and again and again. And then we're like, oh, we're doing this right now. Like we can do this right now, you know, and, and you, you, you just see the, the growth in each player specifically independently. And then the group as a whole, you got DBs and you got linebackers in the front, right. Um, everyone, everyone meshing, everyone knowing what's going on, you know, a very tight knit group. It was, uh, it was something that was really special to be a part of. It was, it was unbelievable. You go from being a walk-on to a scholarship player to 2016, your first team all conference, like you had mentioned earlier, and they basically created a position for you to kind of maximize your versatile skill set. When was the buff backer created? Going into 2016. Yeah. Um, now we, it was kind of there the year before we were playing maybe a little bit of a lighter nickel package or heavier nickel package. Um, and we tried a couple other guys out it. like Cheeto. He probably was the first idea for it just because he played, was playing a lot of nickel. Right. Um, and then it was Afalabi Laguda. Um, but then with with me, the transition with me in there was the idea of having a, a big safety, smaller linebacker and someone who could be tough down in the trenches and cause those problems. Not that those other guys couldn't do it, but if I could be down there, that could free them up to, you know, that's that was one of my strengths. Like I, I was bigger and I would like to horse people around and be rough and be down there, and just get nasty, you know, get dirty in there. Um, and I, it's just, it's, it's being able to find that right position that best suits your strengths. Right. Um, and we're able to find that in a way to where we could have two phenomenal safeties back there at the same time, both with speed and, and, and great vision and, and, and coverage availability. And then we had two great guys on the edges, right. Or I'm sorry, on the corners guys that who very dominant in what they did. They're very fast, very smart, could recognize routes, could, could be dependable, like one just one hundred percent what you needed out there, and the same things up front. So it was like the last key position. What are we going to do here? How are we going to do that? And you know, there probably was somewhere. Can he do that? Like, can can we put him out there? Like, is he going to be able to take on the Garrett Bowles of the world that are pulling at you or all this? And I said, let's go, baby. Sure as heck, let's do it. And start cutting those big pigs and giving them some work and. Man, it just, I think it was uh, just a very incremental piece to that defense um, that worked very well on the edge when they tried to come to the field or we needed to cover the flat, whereas, you know, and, and then in the box too with the linebackers and the, the front, you know, they were handling everything there. So if they shut that stuff down, they needed someone to be able to stop it on the edge. Me and Jimmy Gilbert, right? And then same with the passing game. So it was just, you know, definitely perfect storm, right fit for all of us and and since we'd all been working through all those processes together, it's it's something that, uh, you know, we were able to pull off because of the hard work and the recognition and the maturity of the group that has gone through to learn the function of the defense and and learn how to play together and, and learn how to be uh, better men and better football players. What's your favorite memory from that 10-win 2016 season? Oh, my God. You know, beating Oregon in Oregon was was pretty pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet, but I gotta say, every home game we had as we were going through the rest of the season, you know, Arizona State, UCLA's, and um, the Pac-12 South is challenging. It was very hard, um, but being able to play at our home stadium with that rocking crowd right on top of you, so loud, so fanatical, right? It was. It was a it was a pretty awesome site, one that hadn't really been there and that lively in that stadium for a number of years. So being able to play at home um, above all else was 
was probably some of my, my, my best memories, but a game specifically would have been that Oregon win. I think that was really, uh, we'd been close, really close in, in years past to the winning those games, those close games, but then we just get edged out, you know, every freaking year with USC was three points, three points. And unfortunately we never topped that one, but, um, you know, I, as a team, I think I saw that final, everyone believes, everyone believed that we could do, we could do it and keep going, that we had it, that we had something there after we had won that game. And, you know, that took just fight, lots and lots of fight. And it just it really came together for us. Like we talked about your first start ever was at, at Oregon. And then in 2016, it really is the moment that, that lifts you guys. What do you remember about the Akella Witherspoon pick? What, what were you on the field for that play? No, I wasn't. We were in nickel on that play. Um, but I remember being down there and I'm just like, well, here we go. They're marching, they're marching, they're marching. Um, I'm standing on the sideline. I'm like, please, please, please don't score. Don't lose. I, uh, we actually, I actually set them up a little bit down there for that. Not our defense, their offense. Um, I, uh, I was on the edge they're doing like a zone read and I was like, he's been giving it, he's been giving it. Cause I've been sitting here. I've been sitting here. And I was like, I think I can, can get him to, to hand it off if I just like I'm trying to fake it and quarterback kept it and got a, got an extra seven yards. I think they got a, not, a, it was either a first down or a little bit of a gain, seven yard gain. And I was like, Holy crap. If I just lost it for us, I think I'm like, it's going to be a tough one to feel. Um, so I, I was just sitting on the sideline at that point watching my teammates out there and, and praying for them that I didn't do them dirty and do them wrong. And, Thankfully, with the skill of the, that defensive back group, that that money gang group, you know, they they were able to bail me out and, you know, very grateful for that one. John Snelson did a great job documentary in that season. Have you ever gone back and watched the rise? Oh, man, plenty of times. I remember I see stuff in those games that uh, I forgot, I forgot about. And it's pretty fun to recollect some of that stuff. And now that you mentioned that, I, uh, I watched uh, – one of the rises where we were playing UCLA at home. And I remember that game was probably the dirtiest, chippiest game I've ever played. They are just, they were nasty, twisting, poking, punching, pinching, you name it. They were getting after it. And so we're John a lot, a lot of John out there and tip me. I don't like to talk, but you know, I'll let the actions kind of speak um, louder than my words. And they keep going, keep going, keep going. So you, kind of gets a little fun to talk back a little bit too, you know, within reason. I remember there was one play I smoked one of their receivers on the sideline and I was just so juiced up from everything that had been happening in the game, kind of lost my cool. I was like, Whoa! <laughs> kind of flexed over the guy, got penalty. <laughs> yeah. Coach Mack pulled me in that one, but um, ended up coming back in because, you know, I guess not, you know, I, I was needed, you know, in that, in that position that, the, um, the, my backup at the time or whatever they tried to do after that wasn't working. So I remember Joe coach, Joe Tumpkin going in there and be like, we need him back in there. Like right now <laughs> he's going to sit me for the rest of the game. I got to go back in and we kept whooping that butt. Gabe Marks from Washington state had a, a good press conference where he called UCLA fake tough guys. Was that in terms of the animosity, was that one of those teams that, could kind of bring that side out of you guys. Cause I remember they, they had actually trashed the visiting locker room one of those years as well. Yeah. Um, fake tough guys. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. They, uh, I don't know. Some of those California schools and they maybe had, they had a rich history, right. And you can go in there and be like, Oh, UCLA, like you, blah, 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 blah. Like just the name's going to beat you. But Maybe that worked against other teams, but that wasn't going to work definitely against us. So we were too good and we were too tough and, and fast and strong to, for any of that to beat us. But the, they try and hide behind their bark, you know. And then when they start biting, they're not like a Rottweiler like they think they are. They're a little more like a Chihuahua. <laughs> you played in 10 games as a senior before a hip injury ended your college career prematurely, but uh, you won the – Derek Singleton Award for Spirit, Dedication, and Enthusiasm presented by the coaching staff. What did that award mean to you to kind of cap off 
your career at CU? Yeah, it's kind of bittersweet. You know, I'm glad I'm, I'm happy to have received the war that that's, you know, been handed down for as long as it has. Um, you know, I, I knew it wasn't the end for me. And I, I just remember wishing that I, I could have finished playing out against USC and, and Utah, but I ultimately had to think about my future in football after. And, um, you know, I'd, had, I'd already had many conversations with NFL teams and scouts and uh, agents and, and so on. So I, I had known I was going to have an opportunity. So I, I was heartbroken that I wasn't able to finish with my, my boys and my buddies. I knew it wasn't going to be the end. Just like in high school when we lost the state championship, I was pretty broken up. I was pretty upset, but I knew it wasn't the end, you know. Um, just a little more conflict for that story, right? What are you going to overcome and how are you going to deal with it? So it was one of those punches, knocks you down, get back up. But like I said, I was very appreciative to receive what I did from them. And, um, you know, I think it just very much aligned with how I looked at everything and how I presented myself through the years. And uh, it was a very nice, you know, award to receive there to, to send me off. And your degree was in communications. Is that correct? Yeah, in business. What was your favorite coach that you played for during your time at CU? Oh man, um, you know, other than Coach Coach McIntyre, Jim Levitt was a hoot. Jim Levitt was a hoot. Um, he's someone that practiced what he preached, right? So, and you go, we play so and so on the weekend. Um, they score X amount of points. You have to run a gasser. So that's, that's uh, down, back, down, back. So down and back twice across the field um, for every touchdown scored. Um, so you start getting that away. You're like, oh, I don't, don't want to let anyone score. <laughs> but every time we're out there doing our, our punishment runs, this wouldn't be after the game. They would be on Sundays or Mondays when we're doing our corrections, our walkthroughs and stuff. After we're done with those, we do, our, we do pun it's called punishment, but it's really just, you know, said we're going to go out there and do this we drop the ball on it do this meaning not let them score um so we got to go run and he's someone who who every time you know even jim jeffcoat joe tumpkin um those guys would run with us too i think them doing that earned so much respect for us from us um you know to be able to want to play for them play harder listen to their coaching like you know if you're they coach hard. They coach you really, really hard. And sometimes if you don't, you don't respect them or if you don't feel like you have their respect, may drive you not want to be so inclined to listen to them, right? Um, but with them, you know, practicing what they preach and talking to you like a young man and having conversations with you as a man um, about what we're doing or what we're doing wrong or how we need to fix or, you know, what do you see? Like, what, what do you think? What do you see? You know, it was, it was more of a, a round table with us in each room and with the teams and what we thought. And it, uh, you know, you had a voice. And so I have the utmost respect for those guys and playing for Jim Levin and all the rest of those guys was, was something that I was very fortunate to do. And it's too bad he didn't stick around, but I get how it goes. Have you been able to make it back to Boulder much since you graduated? Yeah, I've been some, um, I live down in Centennial in South Denver now. So, um, I'll go up next year for the TCU game. I go up for a couple games a year, but, um, you know, at first it was pretty hard to go back up there. It was hard, but you know, then I got to love and going back up and before I knew it, I was up there all the time. And then I started moving around and going further South. So I go up there a little less, but still follow the buffs any way I can when they're playing and support those boys and work with the staff up there to, be of any help to them. Are there any current buffs that you really enjoy watching? Oh man. I loved watching uh, Nate Landman and them last year and, and those boys grow. Um, I'm excited to get to know these younger guys. Uh, now I don't know anyone up there still playing except Nico Magri. Magri is still up there. I don't know. Um, I don't know anyone else who's still up there who I, who I ever played with. So it'd be, it'd be fun to go and, and try and get to know these, these younger cats who have come in and, um, you know, generations behind us and, um, 
you know, I look forward to being more a part of the team again to look into these guys and, and be of any sort of assistance as I can. You know, it was, it was so awesome being able to see former Buffs alumni come down, talk with us, um, ch- tell us what they do and, and lend an ear and, you know, trying to connect older guys with younger guys. So Lance Carl's doing a great job of that. And I'll be working with him on that for the coming seasons, I think. Cool. Which teammates from your time at CU do you still keep in touch with? Uh, Kenneth Olabodi. Alpha Lobby, Laguda, talk to Cheeto every every now and again. Maybe it's text or whatever. Um, Isaac Miller, Tim Coleman, Derek McCartney, all those defensive guys. Um, we'll see them around. Um, and then Chris Hill, that was my roommate all through college. He played H and and everything. So I still keep in touch with a lot of those guys. Their 2022 signees are about to get on campus here soon. Like you said, you kind of want to be somebody those guys can reach out to in the future. What, what advice would you give someone that's getting ready to start that college journey up at CU? Yeah, come into it with open arms and uh, find a way to enjoy the process. If you can convince yourself you know nothing and you're on, and you're only stand to learn everything, I think you can make huge strides. Um, you know, ego and arrogance can probably be your biggest, your biggest downfall, your biggest enemy when you're coming into a new situation. I saw plenty of guys come in my time there who didn't put any of the work with the team um, prior to, and they come in the summer and they just, and they start working with the older guys and they uh, acting too cool, right? A little too confident. And, um, you know, sometimes you need to kind of get embarrassed you know, not publicly, but uh, how do I say it? Uh, like, welcome to the league, rookie type of deal. You know, a little a humbling experience, maybe, um, to really kind of see, okay, you know, I was a big fish in that pond, but now this pond's even bigger. Because when you go to college, everyone who's there was was the dude where they came from, was the dude in their, their region, their state, or their program. So, um, you know, being humble and hungry, it's – Best way to go about it. Awesome, Ryan. Well, I really enjoyed catching up with you. One of the more unique stories that I've covered at CU and great to hear that you're doing well in life and good luck leading up to the wedding here. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. It was, it was great to talk to you about all this and, and my time there at CU. And I definitely would not change any of it for the world. I met my wife, future wife, you know, great memories and, and friendships and, and family. And, you know, it's, I enjoyed the process and I'm enjoying the journey still.